Oh, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? It feels like ages since I last spoke to you. So for anyone who's, um, who's visiting this morning or relatively new, my name's Gavin. I am one of the elders at Jubilee. I know I don't look old enough, but uh, there we go. So what a good week for prayer week, by the way. I want to just say thank you for everyone who's been involved. Uh, it's just been so encouraging to see how this place has just been filled with people praying all week. It's been absolutely fantastic. Special shout out to Mariama, who did, I think, a 12-hour stretch one day, praying all day. That is the sort of faith that I want to see. Well done to you. Um, as Raj said, we've taken a bit of a break from Matthew for a couple of weeks. Uh, we had Annabelle last week. How good was Annabelle from Alpha? She was great. And we'll be having another break for the next three weeks as we look at Jubilee's vision. All right, so we're going to have three weeks starting next Sunday looking at the vision of Jubilee. What does it mean to be part of Jubilee Church Teesside? And where do we feel that God is taking us as a church? It's going to be really exciting three weeks, so that'll be next week. Um, but today we're still in Matthew, so let's recap where we're up to. Um, we've come to the final week of Jesus' life, okay? So the book of Matthew's been leading up and we're into the final week of Jesus' life. And he's about to um, suffer and be hung on the cross. He's about to die, but we know the happy ending. He's going to be raised from the grave, isn't he? He's going to defeat death. We're getting to that point in the story. But Jesus has been going around annoying people, all right? So Jesus does good. That's why I like Jesus. He annoys people. He's been making some enemies of the religious leaders. So the guys who he's been making enemies of are the ones who are going to be responsible for his death on the cross, and two weeks ago, um, Simon spoke from Matthew 24, which was Jesus talking about the end times. What's going to happen when the world ends? It was a bit of a complicated passage, and that's why we give it to Simon, the most intelligent <laughs> elder. Um, but the passage I want to look at today is following on from that. It's directly after that, and it's Jesus speaking about preparation. All right? And the big theme for today is preparation, being people who are prepared. And it kind of reminds me of uh, when our children were born, all right, especially Eden, our first one. That is the most prepared I've been for anything in my life. Well, for the birth anyway, not for being a parent. I still don't get that bit. But I remember being so prepared. I remember months in advance, we bought loads of baby furniture for our spare room and we decorated it. And um, we bought a push chair that Haley used to wheel about the house with no baby in it. And then... <laughs> About two months before the baby was even due, we prepared the hospital bag. All right, ladies, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? The hospital bag. It was full of nappies and cloves and all sorts of weird and wonderful items I don't understand. But we had this bag that just sat in the corner of the spare room, just in case the baby came early. And guess what? 9th of August 2017, my wedding anniversary, I had a lovely meal prepared with Hayley after work and I got a phone call in the middle of the day. Gavin, don't panic. <laughs> I mean. So there I went from Middlesbrough across to Stockton, maybe broke a few speed limits on the way and got to the hospital and it turns out that our little one came early. But because we were prepared, Hayley used the sentence that I was dreading. She said, Gavin, get the bag. <laughs> so... So I went home and I got the bag and we were ready because we had been prepared. And that is a message that Jesus is preaching in this passage. He's warning his followers to be prepared. He's saying, be prepared. And it's a funny thing, really, for Jesus to be saying because he's saying to them, be prepared, be ready. But if we're not careful, we can confuse being prepared and being ready with working hard. 
Almost like Jesus is saying, you must be working all the time. You must be making sure you're always putting effort in. But that's not the gospel, is it? The gospel is about grace. It's about what God's done for us. It's about God meeting us where we are. So if it's not about doing loads of stuff, what does it mean to be prepared? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's read together from Matthew 25. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one at the end. We've got some available in the hall, um, or you can look at the screen behind me. Let's read um, from Matthew 25, verse 1. So at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who've taken their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight the cry rang out, he is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Challenging stuff, hey? So there we have it. Be people who are prepared. But before we talk about, the con- uh, about this story and what it means, I just want to talk about the context of this story. Because to understand what on earth Jesus is talking about, we need to know a little bit about Jewish wedding customs. All right? Because a lot of us are used to our British Western weddings, aren't we? where you uh, all dress up very smart and then there's a church service and then a meal and then maybe some awkward dancing and quite a lot of silence. I mean, our international friends, you laugh at our weddings, don't you? Like, our weddings are boring for you, aren't they? Like, it's all very quaint and proper. In other cultures, they have a party and a celebration. Our Iranian friends, they'll have a lot of dancing and food and joy. Our Nigerian friends throw dollars at people as they're dancing. I've seen you, I've seen you. Yeah, so everyone laughs at our weddings. Our weddings are boring. But Jewish weddings are a little bit more like our international friends' weddings than ours. They were massive celebrations. But let me explain a little bit about the three stages of a Jewish wedding. I should have, oh, look at that, lovely picture behind me. So the first stage of a wedding in ancient Jewish culture was known as the agreement. And this happened in advance where the bride and groom are probably sometimes even still children. And it was agreed that the wedding would happen. The dads would meet and the wedding is agreed. It'll happen in a long time, but these guys are going to be uh, wed later on. Then the second stage, which happens a little bit later on, a few years later, is called the betrothal. And this can be one year before the actual ceremony. And it's when the couple make some vows and have an informal contract. They're not yet officially married. The marriage hasn't been consummated yet, but they're one stage before it. In fact, if the groom were to die at this stage, the, the, the bride would still be known as a widow. She'd be known as a virgin widow. But they weren't quite married. And then the final stage in the Jewish custom is, of course, the wedding feast. 
the wedding ceremony. And this involves everyone in the community. It's a huge celebration. It involves lots of people and food and dancing and all sorts of fun stuff. All right. But as part of this wedding feast, the groom and his groomsmen, his mates, they would light some flames, which, by the way, giving stag parties flames is not a good idea, is it? But these grooms would light these flames and they would walk through the town, celebrating on the way to the bride's house. All right, so they'd have these flames and they'd be walking through the town or the village where the bride lived. And what they would do is they would take the longest route through the town or the village and they'd be parading. And people would come out of the houses and dance and celebrate and give them money, hence the longest route around. You could make a few quids doing this. And then eventually the parade would reach the bride's home. And then they would all come out with their lamps too. The bridal party would come out with their own flames and they would parade back to the wedding venue. All right, so that's what's happening in this story. And Jesus is explaining that the groom has come late at night, so late that the bridesmaids have fallen asleep. And then when they woke up, half of them realized they didn't have enough oil for their lamps. So they can't have a flame without any fuel. So they sent out to get some more oil. But where on earth do you get oil from in the middle of the night? They didn't have 24-hour Tesco Express in those times. Where do you get oil from in the middle of the night? And because they're rushing around trying to find the oil, they miss the groom coming. And then when they eventually come back, they are not allowed to enter the ceremony. The door is shut, it's firmly shut, and they're not allowed to enter the feast because they weren't prepared. And that is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying you don't know when the time is going to be. It might be a long time away. It might be when you don't expect it, but be prepared. And there are three things I want to look at today really quickly to do with being prepared. Okay? To be prepared, I think, from what I've been reading, means to be righteous, to be wise, and to be ready. So first of all, to be righteous, it's important to note that Jesus is teaching in this passage to his disciples. All right? He's not teaching to Jewish leaders. He's not teaching to the crowds. He's teaching to his disciples, to his mates, to his followers. And often we can read these stories in the Bible and we can think that Jesus is talking to non-believers. Jesus is talking to those Jews that we're judging and saying, oh dear, you, you silly Jews. But actually Jesus is talking to his believers. He's talking about judging the world. He's talking about um, the end times, but he's teaching to his believers. He's teaching to us. He's teaching to the church. And do you know what? This is a warning parable. This is a warning parable. He, he's, ta- he's judging, essentially, the church. The warning comes most sternly at the end of the parable when the bridegroom, who represents Jesus, says, truly, I tell you that I don't even know you. And that's a little bit shocking because imagine Jesus coming back to church today and saying, I don't even know you. That's scary, right? We don't want to hear that. It's similar language to what Jesus uses in Matthew 7. We heard about it a few months ago when Jesus says, not everyone who says Lord will be saved. Jesus says to some people, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. It was that sort of strong language that Jesus was talking about. And this is important because Jesus is saying, some of you listening, some of you, you ain't my disciples. I don't know you. Some people are going to be in for a real shock. And do you know what? We can be scared to talk about it, but that 
is the case in the church today. Some people could be in for a real shock. See, we have people in church who come along and do the right things, who are part of the right rotors, who come along every Sunday, who don't know Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you guys are pretending. You guys aren't right, church. You guys aren't made right with me. You're not living for God. It's challenging, isn't it? You see it all the time. You see it in churches. You know, we saw it a lot during COVID. Churches across the country reported that maybe up to half of their congregation didn't come back after COVID because these guys didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They didn't have that um, one-to-one passion for the Lord. And do you know what? If you weren't working with Jesus, you weren't going to go through online church, were you? Like, come on, online church was bad. Like, you weren't going to sit on Zoom every Sunday if you didn't know Jesus. So what happened? These guys didn't come back. If you aren't living right with God, you're not going to stand. So Jesus was warning them here, and he's warning us as a church today. He's saying, get right with Jesus. Get right with God. Make sure you're walking with him. It's challenging to hear, isn't it? It's challenging to talk about. See, the bridesmaids in the story, from the outside, they were the same, all ten of them. All right, They were all ready for the wedding ceremony. They were probably all wearing the same dresses. Um, but in the end, only some of them were invited to the feast. Some of them weren't prepared. Some of them didn't have the oil. So when the bridegroom came, they weren't able to join him. Let me challenge you, don't be like those bridesmaids. Being prepared means being made right with God. It seems simple, but it's so important. Don't leave here this morning without being made right with God. No matter how long you've been in the church. You might have been coming to church for years. Don't leave this morning without being right with God. Make sure you've got a personal relationship with Jesus. We're going to have a chance to respond at the end this morning to that. I really feel that's an important warning. So be righteous. The second part of being prepared is to be wise. All right. See, in verse two, Jesus describes the bridesmaids as half being foolish and half being wise. It's actually really strong language that Jesus uses. See, the word that Jesus uses for foolish in the Greek is moros, where we get our word moron or idiot or fool or doyle, if we're talking Teesside. Jesus is saying, half of you are wise, half of you are stupid, all right? Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus is saying, half of you are wise, half of you are a bunch of idiots. That's what he's saying, all right? I don't like that language, but there you go, Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is, there's very little to tell between the two groups on the outside, as I said. They all look the same, they all dress the same, but based on their actions, we see who is wise and who is foolish, It's in the way that they act. It's in the decision that they make. And the Bible has a lot to say about foolish people, by the way. If you don't believe me, read the book of Proverbs. That has a lot to say about foolish people. And have you ever been around a foolish person, by the way? Don't all look at me. I see you all looking at me. Have you been around a foolish person? Someone who makes terrible decisions. And it's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? They'll come to you and ask for advice, and then they'll do the complete opposite. And it's like, what are you doing? Being around foolish people isn't good. It's hard to watch. Foolish people make foolish decisions. They make bad choices. It's hard to watch. And I think that's why Jesus is being so plain and clear here. He's straight talking. He's saying, don't be foolish. 
See, as we said, half the bridesmaids are foolish. Rather than being prepared, rather than getting enough oil in the first place for their lamps, they just don't bother. They make a daft decision and have the oils with no fuel for them. They the lamp with no oil for them, no fuel for them. They had the chance to make the right decision, but they didn't bother. It seems so simple, doesn't it? But then again, it always does. It always seems so simple. Just make a wise decision. But quite often, we don't. We make foolish ones. Let me ask you this morning, do you make wise decisions? The friendships that you have, the conversations that you speak, the things that you watch, the websites that you visit, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, do you make wise decisions? That maybe some of you have been a bit foolish lately. Maybe you've been neglecting your time with God. Maybe you've been looking at the wrong things. Maybe you've been doing the wrong things. Listen, hear Jesus' warning this morning. Don't be foolish. Being a true follower of Jesus involves making wise decisions. Now listen, God has grace for us. Of course he does. He picks us up every time we fall down. All right, God has, grace is my favorite verse in Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Even if you make a foolish decision, Jesus still loves you. But what he's saying is, don't keep making foolish decisions again and again and again. Yes, I'll forgive you. Yes, it'll be like the prodigal son. I'll be waiting with my arms wide open, but don't make foolish decisions all of the time. Be wise. Let's not make the mistake of continuing to make foolish decisions. Let's take a little bit of responsibility for our walk with God. This is challenging stuff. One of the lessons I learned early as a Christian um, in my walk with God, I became a Christian when I was about 16 years old. And one of the early lessons I, I learned was to take responsibility for my walk with God. And I don't recommend this form of discipleship, but when I became a Christian, I used to meet with a friend of mine, an older guy, every week uh, in Starbucks. And he used to have these seven questions that he would get out. So we'd sit down, I'd come in from college, and we'd sit down and he'd get out this big kind of file with seven questions on the front of it. I don't remember all the questions, but it was things like, have you been truthful this week? Have you acted with integrity? Have you, you know, uh, whatever, have you told any lies? It was all that sort of stuff. It was kind of really uh, in-your-face questions. And I quickly learned that it was embarrassing to keep telling them that I'd messed up. Every week, have you, have you been truthful? No. Have you uh, acted with integrity? No. Have you read your Bible? No. You've been to church. I, I, it's just embarrassing every week, I felt. So I learned to take responsibility for my walk with God. And listen, I don't recommend that, obviously. It's a little bit legalistic. And, but for me at the time, it worked. I learned to take responsibility for my walk with God out of embarrassment. <laughs> but it was an important lesson. Listen, faith isn't a tick box exercise. We need to be careful that we don't shame ourselves into following Jesus and trying to live for him. But we do need to take responsibility for our walk with God. And I mean that. I really mean that. Let's not be foolish. Do you know, I was chatting to someone recently and I was sharing about how for me, um, I'm so careful to have my relationship with God at the centre of my life, at the forefront, because the idea of life without God is just, I don't want to go back to that. I know what I was like growing up. I know some of the thoughts I had, some of the feelings I had. I don't want to go back to that. So I make sure that my walk with God is at the centre. I have too much to lose. 
And that's how I make wise decisions. I take time to pray. I make sure that I'm um, careful about what I watch, about how I spend my money, about how I spend my time. I do all of that because I've just got too much to lose and that should be the attitude that we've got as Christians. Is that how you think about God? We need to take responsibility for our walk with God. Listen, I just want to speak to us as a church here, as, as one of your elders, um, and, and just challenge us. Is this the culture that we're creating in Jubilee? Are we encouraging each other to take responsibility for our walk with God? I don't mean, am I encouraging you? I mean, are we encouraging each other? Do we have deep friendships in the church that mean that people would notice if you started to make foolish decisions? Do we have those friendships? Do we have times in our community groups when we're open and honest? Because I want us to have that environment as a church. Look, if I was struggling and making foolish decisions, I would want someone to sit me down and say, Gav, what are you doing, you Doyle? Stop it. I'd want that. That's the culture that we need to create in this church. Listen, I have faith after this week, especially that God's going to do an amazing move in Teesside. I have faith that he's going to bring many people to our church. I've got faith that many lives are going to be transformed. But in order to be ready for that, in order to be ready for these people coming into church, we need to have a culture that says we challenge each other to take responsibility for our walk with God. We need deep friendships. We need strong community groups. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to be inviting each other around for tea. When we were in Turkey recently, I absolutely loved this. One of the um, leaders of the church, he phoned Sarush and said, I'm on my way around to see uh, Raj and Gavin. It wasn't like, can I come around? It was like, I'm on my way. See you in five minutes. That's what we want as a church. That's what we need. We need to be in each other's lives so that we can challenge each other, iron sharpening iron, as it talks about in the Bible. And all of that needs to be done in love and grace. That's the culture that we need in this church. Listen, if you've felt that you're slipping in your walk with God at the minute, if you've been making some foolish decisions, speak to someone. Arrange to meet up with someone. Whether that's done in your community groups or outside or one-on-one, make sure you meet someone. Don't struggle on your own. Let's take responsibility. So, whew, I'm feeling challenged this morning. Anyone else feeling challenged? That's one way to get warm in this building, isn't it? Let's uh, forget a new heating system. Let's just get challenged. So, in order to be prepared, we're righteous, we're wise, and finally, we're ready. Okay, we're ready. There's a really interesting little interaction between the wise and the foolish bridesmaids. We see it in verse 8 and 9. The foolish ones are like, hey, give us some of your oil. We've got none. And the wise ones are like, no way. You should have been prepared. And I kind of, on the outside, that looks a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Like, why not just share your oil? But I think Jesus is, is telling us this for a reason. He's saying that, um, he's making a point. He's saying, in our walk with God, we can't rely on others. In our journey of faith, we can't rely on others. That's not an option for us. We see it often in church. Someone will say, oh, it's all right. I don't need to be right with God. My dad's an elder. Or my, uh, my grandma's been praying for me for years, it's fine. Or uh, I don't need God, my mum will say a few words of prayer for me, that's all well and good. Or I went to church once when I was a kid, it's fine. Like, we can often feel like uh, we can piggyback off other people's faith. I got a friend of mine and we joke all the time, I invite him to Alpha, I send him an automated six monthly invite to Alpha and uh, he laughs every time and says no. He says, don't worry, I don't need to come to Alpha, I, I've got you, you'll get me into heaven, you'll sneak me in the back door. And it's funny, but it's not true, is it? We can't sneak people into heaven. I'd love it if we could. I'd get a whole load of people in. I'd get my mum in. I'd get my brother in. I'd get my wife's family in. If we could sneak people in, I'd, I'd get everyone in, like a busload. But we can't. 
We really can't. We need our own relationship with God. I saw this massively in my youth group growing up. I remember becoming a Christian, as I said, at, at 16, and there was a bunch of us, we just became really passionate about Jesus. And there was a few months when it was really good, and we were all like praying and worshipping, and we were convinced, you know, we'd made the right decision. And then some of the girls in the group, they met these boys, teenage boys, and started dating. And the boys came along to church as well. And the boys would pray, and the boys would worship, and we were all on fire for God. And then when the relationships broke down, like all teenage romances do, sorry, youth, if you're in, teenage romances, they break down. But when they did, the boys disappeared. They didn't stick around. Why? Because they were piggybacking off the girls' faith. Their walk with God wasn't genuine. It was like, oh, I came along to impress the girls. And we see that a lot. And I remember uh, kind of getting challenged by that at the time and thinking, actually, it is so important to have your own faith, your own walk with God. Let me ask you this morning, are you trying to get to Jesus through someone else? Or have you made that decision to follow him? Are you prepared and ready because of your own relationship with God? You can't borrow someone else's relationship with Jesus, I'm afraid. And I mean this, especially for younger guys who've grown up in the church, you can't borrow someone else's walk with God's. Let me give you a quote here. This is from Phil Moore, a Bible teacher. It's on the screen behind me. He says, see, the groom doesn't shut the foolish ladies out because they fail to be prepared alone. It's actually much stronger than that. He kicks them out because he never knew them. These ladies are like the churchgoers who try to borrow Christian experience through their association with others. But you can't do that. Jesus even knows you. Oh, he doesn't. Do you know Jesus this morning? Are you prepared to meet with him? Because you can know him this morning. You can be ready this morning. You can give your life to Jesus this morning. And that is the best decision that you will ever make. Listen, there's one final challenge in here as well. Um, and that is to make sure you're not giving off the impression that other people can piggyback off your faith as well. Because that's also something that can happen. Last week, Annabelle encouraged us in the area of evangelism. And I really loved how she shared. She kind of made it sound so easy. She encouraged us that it's easy to share our faith with others. But one of the points that she made is that at some point, we actually have to share the gospel. At some point, we actually have to tell people to make a decision to follow Jesus. It's all well and good to be positive and be available and be a good listener and be a good example of Jesus. I believe in all that stuff. That's all amazing stuff. But at some point, we have to share the gospel. Because if not, we're giving off the impression that people can get to Jesus through us. And really, they can't. I'm just worried that for a lot of us, myself included, we never get to that point. We never cross that line and share the gospel. So our friends are like, Jesus is okay. He's clearly positive. My friend's clearly doing well because of Jesus. But then what happens? They miss that decision moment. We don't want to be... Um, evangelizing to our friends and leaving them as unprepared bridesmaids, do we? We want to bring our friends to the point where they make the decision to follow Jesus. We talk a lot about Alpha. Alpha is one of the best evangelistic tools around. It gives your friends, uh, your friends a chance to hear the gospel in a really open environment, but it also gives them a chance to make that decision to follow Jesus. Please invite your friends along on the 10th of October. Invite them along to Alpha. That's just one final challenge. If I get the band up, that would be great. Um, just as we end, I, I want to bring us back to Jesus because as I was preparing this message, I even said to Simon this week, this is challenging stuff and I don't want to bash you guys over the heads with it. I want to bring us back to Jesus. Um, 
because Jesus' words can challenge us and that's a good thing. It's good to be challenged by Jesus as long as it brings us back to Jesus, all right? Sometimes what happens is we get challenged by a word like this and then it becomes about us. What can I do to be made right with God? What can I do to um, sort my, my, my life out? What can I do to make wise decisions? But we need to come back to Jesus. That's the way that we handle these challenges. See, the real response to all of this should be, Jesus, I need you to help me do this. Without you, I'm going to go on making a mess. I'm going to go on making wrong decisions. I'm going to go on being a complete disaster. But with you, I can be prepared. With you, I can be righteous. With you, I can be wise. There's no pressure or guilt trip with Jesus. There's just a realisation of what we're really like and then coming back to Jesus. Let me just share a quick story from this week that God really spoke to me about. On Tuesday, I was at this event at the university and uh, it was a freshers' fair, so they had all sorts of things being promoted. They had stands advertising restaurants and societies and uh, hairdressers and tattoo parlours and then there was us right in the middle with this try church stand, big orange letters, try church. And um, it was amazing to have the opportunity, but right across the room from us was this bar and it was this bright red sign and in massive letters it said Sinners Club. And I was like, that's what my sign should say. I shouldn't say try church, it should say sinners club. So I, I went up to the barman and I went, we're advertising the same thing really. And uh, he didn't laugh. But I just thought, <laughs> God, <laughs> he didn't get it. But you know, God really spoke to me about that because yes, that is what our sign should say. Do you know, if we ever renovate this building, we should put sinners club on top, shouldn't we, rather than Jubilee Church. Because that's what we want to be. We want to be a place where people come and say, actually, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need to come back to Jesus. So yes, this morning is challenging. Yes, we need to be making wise decisions, but we need to come to Jesus first and foremost. I'd love to invite you to stand and then I'd love to pray because I think that's how we should end this morning. We should come back to Jesus. Listen, if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you've never made a decision to follow him, even if you've been in church for years and years and years, don't leave here this morning without giving your life to God. Don't leave here this morning without being made right with him. And you can do that this morning. If you've been making foolish decisions, come back to him this morning. Come back to him. Remember what I said, it all ends with Jesus. Lord, I thank you so much that even when you challenge us, Lord, even when you challenge us, you do it in love and grace, Lord. And Father, I thank you that we can end this morning coming back to you and saying, Lord, we need you. We need you more than anything, Lord. It's not about us. It's not about striving. It's not about ticking boxes. It's about us realising that we need you and we say this morning that we need you. And I pray for each and every person here, Lord Jesus, whether we've been making foolish decisions, whether we've been slipping in our walk with God or whatever it is, I pray this morning, would you just come afresh, Lord Jesus, and remind us that we need you. And as we realise that, would you just take us to a place of worship, Lord? And I want to speak, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, this morning, if there's anyone here that hasn't ever had that chance to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, I pray right now, would you be speaking to them, Lord Jesus? I pray right now, would you be speaking to them, Lord? And would you just be prompting them to come forward and say, yes, this is the moment for me. Lord, as we worship now, I pray, would you be speaking to us, Lord? We love you, Lord. Even in the challenge, we know that we can stand and say we love you, Lord.
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.